You're listening to Chasing the Word on Compassion Radio. It's time for Chasing the Word. Are you ready to chase the Word with me, honey? Always. We've been in the book of Psalms, looking at the Davidic Psalms of the past few weeks. We'll continue this for a while. And we're in number 69 right now. We've been trying to find a good place to break in the middle of this chapter. And the stanzas, well, frankly, in some ways, this kind of seemed like a Debbie Downer kind of psalm. Most of them in Downward, yeah. But there's hope here, and we're going to find that as we go along. Anyway, welcome back to the microphone. Let's dig into the book of Psalms, chapter 69. What do you see happening in this one so far? Last week, I think we saw David really lamenting the possibility that he's caused other people to stumble and doubt their faith or to even be persecuted in some ways for their faith and for their belief in God. We saw him talk about how he was ridiculed for his devotion to the temple, to the service of God. And we talked about, too, I think, how sometimes we feel that way in our own lives, in our own walk with the Lord in our passion and devotion. He said his passion burns. He burns with zeal for the Lord. And sometimes that looks crazy to people, or that looks... Unreasonable, maybe. Unreasonable. I think sometimes people feel a little guilty that maybe they're not as zealous as others and tend to put them in that box of, oh, you know them, they're religious or whatever kind of term. We saw David talking through some of that, and it ended on him talking about how they sing drunken songs about him. I'm not sure I've ever experienced that, but some may have. It was a downer it ended on. Yeah, it is interesting that David is able to speak about everyday life, Mm -hmm. what he's actually going through. And we read it like it was some holy event. I mean, I think it's set apart for us to understand from and learn from. But this is the guy's journal. This is not some kind of high and mighty poetry going on here about how wonderful God is and how bad sin is. He's talking about his gritty life, and he's kind of tired of it. Well, I do think it's poetry. I do think it is things that that David has written, well, most of them say for the song leader or the choir director. So I do think it is his poetry writing or his song writing. But it is about his daily life. It's blank first, though. You know, the kind of poetry that's almost modern that seems like, is this really poetry? Because it's so abrupt and mm-hmm. so cutting or, or harsh even. Well, it's not sound. poetry that we are accustomed to. Correct. Now, when you think about people who act religiously or like to pray in a high and mighty way, we may have known people like this when we were growing up. I'm sure. They suddenly seem to snap into King James ease <laughs> whenever they need to say something important in a prayer or get some responsibility to read a scripture. They suddenly sound different. It's not Mm -hmm. their life anymore. Mm -hmm. There is nothing about David that I read in Scripture that says he was anything but completely David in all that he did. And I think it's one of the reasons why God says he's a man after my own heart. Mm -hmm. He's genuine in that regard. Mm -hmm. And he was genuinely stupid in a lot of places. And we saw that play out in a number of different stories throughout the book of Samuel in the Chronicles and Kings, referring to his behavior and how he would have these episodes where he just kind of throw the traces and break down or just get off his high horse and start acting like a wild man again, and not necessarily wisely. Right. All of that's recorded in his life, and yet the sum of his life seems to be God redeemed all of it Mm -hmm. and had a way of bringing it all into context, saying this is a complete life, good and bad. And right now the chapter we're reading in is David not just pleading with God for help against his enemies, but basically going into depression 
You know, it seems like he's really deeply feeling like, will this never end mm-hmm. kind of thing. So I think this is why this particular psalm resonates with those who deal with things like mental illness or mm-hmm. long-term depression or chronic pain, for example. Or have been in situations where they're in a family that just does not relent in its destructive habits or behaviors. Mm-hmm. If you've ever felt like you've been in a place where you're trapped, this psalm's got all of that in there. So let's uh, pick it up around verse 12 and 13, where we left off last week, and move on from there. Wrapping up from last week, we ended verse 12, and it says, They talk about me in the streets, and drunkards make up songs about me. Moving on to verse 13. But as for me, I will pray to you, Lord. Answer me, God, at a time you choose. Answer me because of your great love, because you keep your promise to save. Save me from sinking in the mud. Keep me safe from my enemies, safe from the deep water. Don't let the flood come over me. Don't let me drown in the depths or sink to the grave. Answer me, Lord, in the goodness of your constant love. In your great compassion, turn to me. Don't hide yourself from your servant. I am in great trouble. Answer me now. Come to save me. Come to me and save me. Rescue me from my enemies. Wow. This is a huge cry for help. Yeah. Loud cry. Mm-hmm. Like he's standing center stage to bring the spotlights right here mm-hmm. and listen to me shout to the balcony. All of the Psalms, as far as I understand it, are meant to be in some level, some fashion, a template for how the worship of God takes root in the people of God. Mm-hmm. We learn the forms of it. We sing these psalms back. We translate them to other languages. And even you and I reading from different translations in English of this passage, it has different nuances and feels and different word choices that are used to encapsulate a complex thought. Mm -hmm. And yet you know that when he sang this out, he may have labored over those words or he may have just blurted them out in extemporaneous poetry. We don't know how it originated. But as it was captured, there was depth there Mm -hmm. that we still have to kind of dig through to see what is the heart of the man Mm -hmm. and how does that resonate with or seem foreign to my heart? Well, it seems like David's turning a corner in verse 13 from the previous 12 verses because the previous 12 were about his failure. God, don't hold that against me. Don't hold that against others. Don't keep me stuck in the mud. We talked about drowning and being parched at the same time. Yeah. Then in verse 13, he says, okay, but for me, I'm going to pray to you, Lord, even though these other people have made fun of my zeal for you and have mocked the passion that I am expressing, I'm still going to pray to you and I'm going to call out to you in that passion. In the translation you're reading from, he's saying, answer me in the time of your choosing. Yeah, when you choose, God. And in the NIV, it reads, I pray to you, Lord, in the time of your favor. Not just the time that you favor, but in the time of your favor. So there's even a different nuance in that translation that I pray that God would favor me, not over somebody necessarily, but that he would just show me favor, Mm -hmm. that he would be delighted for me to come to him. He wouldn't be rudely interrupted by my presence. Let me feel that. I don't want to be an imposition on my God. But if I have to impose on my God because I have a need... Can I be brave enough to do that even? See, I don't see David worrying about that at all. Not much. He's not concerned with interrupting God in any way. He's just calling out and saying, answer me now. I mean, in in verse 17, it says, don't hide yourself from your servant. I'm in trouble. Before that, he says, in your great compassion, answer me now. He knows that God is very compassionate and he knows that God is for him. And he's acting on that knowledge. Think about God being immersed in his own compassion. Because we say, 
in your great love or your great compassion, O Lord, answer me with your sure salvation. Mm-hmm. I get the impression like he's speaking of God himself being immersed in who he is. Mm. It's not just that out of the abundance or out of his pocket change, he tosses something David's way. But he's saying somehow, the manner in which you answer me, God, let it be like this. I know you to be great and merciful. Be that. Mm -hmm. You experience the things you are and just savor the fact that you're helping me. I mean, I I feel like he's saying to God, please don't just do something for me that's minimal, the bare minimum of my need, Mm -hmm. but really get into it. David has a habit of reminding God (laughs) of who he is and what he's promised. He's like, your promises were this. Now, Follow through on that. Now Make that, good on your promise. Of course, it is a poetic device. It is stating the obvious because the audience needs to hear him say mm-hmm. this thing to identify what the problem is or what the solution is. But it is also, I think, a conversation with God. And he is giving the template for people to follow him to say, you be brave enough this way to go tell God what for. And not just complaining about something, but you need to be reminded of who he really is. Because the very next words out of your mouth after saying, God, come to my rescue, you promised, had better be something that is not self-deceiving. You know, Mm -hmm. God could come right back at you and say, no, I know it's not what's really in your heart. So don't fake it with me, buddy. David knows enough at this point not to try to slide one by on God. Whether getting Bibles into closed countries relief supplies into dangerous refugee camps, or providing training and theology books to barefoot pastors as they begin their ministry. These are all the kind of things that we love to share with you every day. And more importantly, they're the kind of things we like to do. Will you help us get ready for the next Big Faith Challenges and Opportunities of this year? Your gift today will provide the means for us to begin some new initiatives with our Bible and relief partners that reach farther than we've ever gone before. Here's how. The first and best way to reach us is through our website, CompassionRadio.com. It's available 24-7. Our safe and secure order form there will get your gift to the places needed most and we'll do it right away. You can also support us with a call during Pacific Time business hours at 1-800-868-2478. That's 1-800-868-2478. You can also text COMPASSION to 53445 to give right through your phone no matter where you are. And note our new mailing address, which is P.O. Box 77160, Corona, California, 92877. Again, that's Box 77160, Corona, California, 92877. However you give, we'd love to hear more about why you believe in Compassion Radio. We so much value your messages and letters. And know this, your gift is deeply appreciated. Thank you for loving us in this way. David knows enough at this point not to try to slide one by on God yeah, or to ask him for something that he really doesn't passionately, truly feel is right. Mm-hmm. How many times have we said prayers that we think God wants to hear? That we pray prayers that we want to impress ourselves with or convince ourselves, but we really don't believe them. Mm-hmm. But we've heard that that's the way God wants to hear prayers, so we go ahead and put it out there. As if God couldn't see through all that. If you're like me, you grew up in a tradition that didn't really allow for that deep honesty with God. Just that everything's good because you're a believer in Jesus, because you've accepted Christ as your Savior, because you live in this American bubble. uh, Things are good and you shouldn't complain about them. if you're feeling something else. If you don't feel good, it's the condition of your heart. It's not because there's something really wrong, maybe even. Especially anything having to do with mental health issues. Mm. 
reading the Psalms for me over and over and really allowing the Spirit of God to speak truth into me through the Psalms, I'm learning even now. God wants us to express that vulnerability, that honesty, that deep hurt and pain, because naming those things and putting those things out there in an honest way takes some of the steam out of them. I mean, I'm not saying that, you know, speaking it into being and name it and claim it, that kind of thing. That's not what I mean. I just mean it's not our agenda. Identifying what the truth is that you're believing. We've talked about lie based beliefs mm-hmm. before. Yeah. And identifying that is key to changing those lies and then following truth. Replacing the narrative. Replacing it, yeah. Another thing about trying to sneak one over on somebody, if God was like a person who didn't have ultimate knowledge or insider wisdom. And we manage to convince with false pretenses. We have lied in order to get the answer we want. The answer I get from you, if I've lied to you, I've asked you for something, and you've graciously said, well, of course, yes. You may not know or understand the state of my heart, Mm -hmm. but you still love me enough to say yes to the thing because you want to serve me or or to answer my question in a way that encourages me. Mm -hmm. But my reception or my belief in your intention or our ability to relate well or continue our relationship or grow it can be very suspect Mm -hmm. because I know that I went out of my way to not really tell you the truth. based on a lie. So even if you give me your very best... I won't be satisfied with that. Mm -hmm. I won't be at rest with it. So maybe one of God's great ways of love is to answer nothing when we lie to him. Mm. Not that he can't hear the words or that he's got his fingers in his ears going la, 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 but that the answer of silence is the only thing that's appropriate and true and loving when we lie to God. Mm. I have to ponder on that one for a while. If we really want answers, therefore, we got to tell him the truth his truth, his way, but we can still have perspective, right? We can still have an attitude that we bring to God. We say, I really do feel this way. You may know differently, God. You may conceive of some other way to address this, but right now, this is what I'm going through. What are you going to do about it? I never see that as being a sin. Mm -hmm. I I don't see anything in Scripture that says, don't be, quote, disrespectful by telling him something he doesn't want to hear. Men are like that. I don't think God is. No, I think we put a lot of attributes on God that are kind of unfair to him. (laughs) Sometimes, yeah. We attribute emotions or frustrations Mm -hmm. to God that most likely he doesn't feel with us. Now, that's a whole other topic that we could go into. Yeah, is frustration a sin or not? Right. But I see how David believes that God wants to hear from him. David is not afraid to spout this stuff out. We've seen before, David's not afraid to call down fire on his enemies. Yet he also knows that God is full of compassion and full of mercy and goodness Mm-hmm. toward everyone, not just him, but toward everyone. And how does he discover that? I mean, we know that's part of his character. It's bleeding from every page yeah. here. He's a bleeding heart God seeker. Mm. <laughs> he arrived there somehow, not just by God revealing himself intellectually to David saying, I can be trusted. Okay, I trust you. No, we learn trust because we've been in a place where we had nothing else to lean on. Mm-hmm. And we had to trust that somebody else or some other thing could do what we could not. Or that they came through in ways that even I wouldn't have expected, but that they did. They proved themselves over and over, and therefore I can see them as trustworthy. And it proved true. Mm -hmm. So trustworthiness has to do with the truth being revealed in some way, right? Well, we don't know how that happened in David's life, how his family interacted as he was growing up and how they talked about the ways of Yahweh or whatever. We, We do know that he was a shepherd and he spent a lot of time alone 
and wrote a lot of tunes out in the field with the sheep and also was a strong young man. He defended them mm-hmm. and it's God came through in those situations where, I mean, I could fight like crazy to protect the sheep I love, but I'm not a very strong person, so I don't know that I could defeat a lion or a bear or whatever. There are plenty of psychologists that would say we really don't see the things we can't see without interpreting what they could be through what we have seen. So if you grow up in a certain kind of family of a certain kind of father, man, that's the kind of God you're going to see because it's the father of fathers. If we see our dad in a certain way, that may be the only lens we'll ever allow ourselves to see God. I know God can punch through that. And he has many people's lives that I've known has gone and run around bad parenting and revealed in the great compassion who he really is. And then that changes their perspective on what they can actually believe or pray for for their own parents. Mm-hmm. You know, I sense in David that there might be a mix of both here. Like he was raised in a lively environment as the youngest of many, many brothers. And that his dad probably was eager to interact with him and was not ashamed of him mm-hmm. and didn't disregard him. His brother seemed to be quite jealous of him, but he was the one that seemed to be precocious enough to get in his father's face and demand justice. I just see that in him as being a young kid, aggressively outward focused. Mm-hmm. He wasn't shy. That's the impression I get from the way he writes. How that transformed into a growing and budding faith where he really sees God come through and answer his prayers. And from that, believe great things for the world around him. I don't know how he gets to that point, Mm -hmm. but I believe it had to be a process and that God's adding up things in his life to greater effect than just the sum of the parts. Well, we know that David faced a lot of adversity throughout his life. He was on the run for his life, a good portion of his young adulthood when he came into the service of Saul and then Saul was jealous of him and attacked him and all of these things. He began to run for his life and him and his band of mighty men that were going around the country, I guess, mercenaries. They were you know, yeah. fighting wars for other countries right. and those kind of things. So we know that he's been through a lot, a lot of tough things and a lot of situations that are talked about about David's life, like you mentioned earlier in both the books of Samuel and Kings and Chronicles and how David faced a lot of things and was successful in them yeah. and came through with flying colors. And he attributes those successes to God. He never once that I can recall says, look how great I am in that I beat Saul or I did this or that and was victorious. He always turns it back around and says, but you, oh Lord, gave the victory. You are the one who fought for us in this situation. And I think that's a really good template to follow, that we attribute the successes in our lives to God coming through for us. That gets a little twisted sometimes because you have to say, okay, well, not just that, but okay, what if you weren't successful? Did God not come through for you? I was going to say, that's the corollary for me. Yeah, so you have to be careful with that. That we don't blame God for our failures. Yeah. Not everything can be from God, Mm -hmm. but that which is, celebrate it. Yeah. And be able to show, I'm not God. I didn't accomplish all Mm -hmm. this stuff, but... Even if I did all this, and I was the one that God allowed to be here in this time and this place to accomplish these things, Mm -hmm. why not give him credit for giving you that opportunity, if nothing else? Mm -hmm. There's got to be a healthy sense of humility with confidence in knowing who God really is. Not who you want him to be or who you think other people think he is, but who you've experienced him to be. And if you don't feel like you really experienced it, to ask him to start showing up. Yeah. We see that in the story of David and Bathsheba. Yeah. The child that they conceived died 
prophetically too. And God basically didn't show up for David in that sense because David sat in the ashes and prayed and begged God to save this child and the child still died. And then David gets up and says, okay, even so, I'm going to praise the Lord. And that's a hard thing. That's a really rough thing that he experienced. As we walk through those kind of tragedies in our lives and we walk through the things that God doesn't answer the way we want him to answer, Mm -hmm. and I think that's a key thing, what is our mindset going to be about it? What's our attitude going to be? Yeah. Do you think didn't show up because you didn't see him act the way you wanted him to act? Yeah. That's a good one to unpack here at the end here, honey. At this part of Psalm 69, there are plenty of times, I think, where we get honest with God, begging him to correct our own failures or the consequence of our sins. And in David's case, he literally had a prophet in his face saying, because you sinned this great sin against God and against the country, against your authority, against your position, you abused all of that. You will not benefit from this. And that son is not going to survive this. All of this stuff of God was a great affront And yet the child itself is innocent. We know that. Children can't have sin from the womb. It doesn't look fair in any regard for us looking at the child. All we know is that he said, this child will not succeed you because he would have been the king. His younger brother did, and that child became Solomon. But in that great tragedy that's marching out on stage here, God, I believe, was there. Mm -hmm. He was with him. And if nothing else, I would see David sitting on the ash heap, scraping his own boils with potsherds like Job did, that Jesus is sitting there right on the ash heap with him, mm-hmm. whether he can perceive it or not. Yeah. How many times does God show up in our misery where we're too blinded with tears to be able to see him there? This section of scripture does not end on a really high note either. But it's an important note. It is very yeah. important. You're right, honey. But we see that David is begging God for help. He is calling out. He is reminding God who he is. We don't see an answer getting to verse 18. We don't see that God has rescued him, that God has indeed shown up as David has begged him to. Yet David still prays. He still calls out. And he's not finished with his prayer yet either. No, he's not. That is a good, good reminder for us that even though we don't see God showing up in the misery, in the pain, like you just said, but to continue to call out to him and to continue to remind him, God, this is who you say you are. Somehow you got to show me that. Yeah. And that actually is a hopeful statement. Mm. And I think it's what we could leave it on for this week. We'll be jumping back into Psalm 69 next week in part three of this series on this one psalm. And I hope that what you've heard today, friends, is an encouragement about the blessedness of persistence, Mm. of the conviction of completing what you're called to do, whether it's in lament or in praise, whatever. Don't stop short of what you know in your heart has to come of this. Keep doggedly pursuing these things. And we even named this whole series on our Compassion Radio program, Chasing the Word. Chase it as long as it takes to catch it, (laughs) as long as it takes for God to let you catch him. That's our encouragement to you. And we'll see you tomorrow for the next Compassion Radio.
Remember, friends, Compassion Radio is always a coalition of the willing. Are you willing to help get out God's good news stories of the kingdom really living the gospel in the 21st century? Oh, I hope so. Just visit our website, CompassionRadio.com, or call our toll-free order line, 1-800-868-2478. And note our new mailing address, which is P.O. Box 77160, Corona, California, 92877. Again, that's box 77160, Corona, California, 92877. We need you, friend, so contact us today.